everyone, I'm Tony Lontis and this is the Everyday Business Show. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability because if I fail, that means I fail for my entire female nation, I call it. <laughs> is that possible? That was the question for myself. And it is absolutely possible. everyone and welcome back to the Everyday Business Show. I'm your host Tony Lontis and today we have another truly divine uh, guest for you but before we get on with the show here's what you need to know. If you're listening to this interview live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitch or Twitter please don't forget to like, subscribe and comment. You will also find the notes for the show underneath wherever you're watching this interview and it gives you valuable information to connect with our guests, to connect with me and make the most out of this interview. You can watch replays of the Everyday Business Show across multiple platforms across the globe, including Binge Networks USA, Zondra TV Networks USA, Hard TV, Hero Go, and of course the Tony TV channel app, pardon me, available on Apple, Android, uh, Roku, LG, and Samsung on smart TVs across the planet. Now, each and every week, we want to be part of the international movement that acknowledges the special and important role Indigenous communities play in the development of our country's cultural identity. So today, I want to acknowledge the people of the Yugamba language region on the Gold Coast, Queensland, Australia, the traditional owners of the land on which we meet and broadcast and pay my respects to the elders past and present and to all Aboriginal Torres Strait Islanders people watching here today. Now we have an incredible series for you with Dr. James Fisher. And we're going to be focused on light, the public good. And it's a fascinating insight into the impact of light across the world for human, plant life and animal life. And in particular, in the next show, we're going to be focusing on the impacts for our beautiful animals. Now, our guest, Dr. James Fisher has a PhD and is the executive director of the Zoological Lighting Institute in New York. Now, the Zoological Lighting Institute is a 501 nonprofit dedicated to supporting the sciences of life and light through the art of animal welfare and wildlife conservation. Natural light is a crucial foundation for all life on this earth and scientific investigation makes it evident that it's necessary to have good relationships for the ecological well-being of all. 
ZLI or the Zoological Lighting Institute is for businesses. The endowment opportunities entail named grant, postgraduate and scholarship sponsorship opportunity. The second part is animal welfare monitoring franchises monetize beneficial data collection while improving care, husbandry and research for animals. The third is the animal welfare design and education um, and it's advancing the discussion around animal welfare orientated approaches to design, planning and pursuing sustainable conservation one animal at a time. And you'll hear from Dr. James that his background is in architecture and it's a fascinating discussion to go from architecture to lighting and animals, but we'll discuss that later. Um, and last but not least, ZLI pursues inclusion, diversity, engagement and access programming related to ZLI campaigns and in partnership with photo diversity films. That will save for the third show. Now, the campaigns underscore the importance of applied photobiology. Now, that might not be a word that you hear in your everyday language, but photobiology is really important and you're about to see why. The campaigns that Dr. James established take cues from different animals to highlight the importance of SDGs to work upon. The Eli's Beached campaign, for example, interprets the extreme adaptability of creation. I've said that wrong. <laughs> Senses to encourage dialogue capable of overcoming anti-Asian hate. Now, that's in relation to whaling and fishing campaigns. Now, there's other campaigns that address the mental health concerns related to environmental factors, specifically that of artificial light. Uh, other campaigns related to healthy ageing, food security, reproductive health and migration trafficking are all part of ZLI's portfolio. I am absolutely delighted to welcome Dr. James Fisher to the show today. Good morning, James. Good evening, good, James. <laughs> I'll say good morning. Good morning. But it, it's thank you very much. And I know it's a mouthful. You know, there's a lot that we've sort of packed into a small organization. So yes. I really appreciate the the thank you very much for the introduction like that. Um, now, James, we want to talk about all things animal zoology light. So there's a lot of things that we need to cover. And I thought that I'd start the show by one of your favorite quotes which is we are beings of light by fritz pop why do you mm. like this quote james i i think it because it, it gets to basics um when it said when fritz pop when he's saying we are beings of light he, he means it in a very yeah. physical sense if you think of uh fundamental physical forces right there's gravity you know, there's strong and weak nuclear forces. Yeah. And then there's electromagnetic radiation. Mm. Uh, and, and that's where light fits. It, it's, uh, it is light, you know, that, that's basically light. Mm. So when we think about how living organisms occupy the earth, how they grow, how they mm. develop, uh, how they maintain, it's really an operation of light, uh, on light. Um, and 
so that particular quote, it's, it, it also opens up the idea of looking at light in a very physical sense. So not in sort of a um, casual sense or like an yes. industrial sense, you know, it, or task related sense. It's very much about the physical stuff uh, life is made from. And, and so and I like that. You know, it, it gets straight to James. it. it, it it's, yeah. Light is essential for beings and mm. uh, animals and a whole range of things. That, that's right. Um, you know, from the time when we're little kids, you know, we're taught about photosynthesis, right? Yes. Um, but in it's school. so much more than that. In school. In, in, in school. Uh, you know, we're, but it's, it's so much more than that, though. Um, the more that uh, we start investigating light, uh, the more you realize it actually takes the place of a hormone in, in visual processes. Mm -hmm. And it's really an extension of individuals. Um, and of course, it's overlaid with other individuals and other, you know, mm -hmm. but it has this importance that I, I don't think is really appreciated uh, as much as it's necessary. Uh, so, you know, and there's a lot to talk about, you know, in, yes. in you know, how we got to this point. Mm -hmm. But really that quote, you know, we are beings of light, it, it's something we can always come back to as a very mm -hmm. basic physical awareness Yes, uh, that then allows for other kinds of decisions to be made, you know, based on what we want to do with that. Yeah. So. yeah. James, your background is in architecture, um, and now you have this amazing not-for-profit. I'm curious about the transition from your uh, professional architectural life mm -hmm. into this amazing not-for-profit that you created, and I understand that it began, began in 2010. Can you take us on that journey? I, I can. You know, 2010... Uh, that that was really uh, sort of like the last transition for me, I think. Mm -hmm. um, you know, before I became an architect, uh, I had studied physics and, you know, uh, at uh, Wesleyan, you know, in Connecticut. And, you know, I wasn't a very good student, I don't think, <laughs> looking back on it. But uh, but I did have a good hands-on feel yeah. for, for optics and electronics. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the way my education worked, I, yeah. if I could work with my hands, I would. Yes. Um, and I got into architecture after that. But, you know, physics studies was such a struggle that when I got into architecture, I was at a place called the Lighting Research Center. And but the vocabulary and the concepts used to talk about light were completely different from what I had struggled to get to as a, as a physics student. And what that meant for me is that, you know, I, I, there was something that was off right away. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you want to be a good student, you want to become an architect, mm -hmm. you, you sort of go along with it. Um, but after, you know, becoming an adult and really uh, uh, more, more mature as an adult and, and, and working on projects and trying to decide what was important, the, the differences uh, that I was kind of accepting as an architectural lighting designer, yes. it didn't make sense to maintain it anymore. So the Zoological Lighting Institute was really an attempt to say, well, what if we took the physics of light seriously and, and, and didn't make concessions, mm -hmm. you know, what, what, what would we get? Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, so looking at things like photons, you know, photon density counts, yeah. fields, you know, yeah. in terms of how they combine in fields and, and how that relates to biology and then how biology relates to things like your mental state, mental, you know, like 
and Slowly there, there was a sequence important. there. It, mm-hmm. it, yeah. And it was really just a question of being honest, uh, you know, with not accepting sort of that concession that I felt like I, that I was doing. Um, and m- many, many lighting designers and architects will, you know, they, they have their own ways around concession making, you know, they'll, they'll work in a very experiential way. Mm-hmm. So I worked with this wonderful lighting design firm, uh, it's called L'Observatoire. Uh, or many of Scott was the, the owner there and I, I wasn't there very long but 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 he had a very good approach of just testing things and using things and you know very hands-on way of looking at, at, at light and and that was great I think that was really the best of, of many options in, yeah. you know in, in terms of an approach that being said it didn't it doesn't really help when you start to think about like the public good if yes. you want to ground that in biological uh or physical reality you know you, you have theatrical uh advancements if i could say that you know mm-hmm. that you would get from an experiential point of view but that biological approach that if you want to make a decision about how do i develop the landscape with people of all sorts of different backgrounds if how do i how do i get into a situation where i want to care for an animal that i cannot possibly get into its mind yeah. You know, then you start thinking, well, what is the biology? What is this? What is the physics of light and, and the photobiology, you know, which is basically just, you know, light yes. and life. How, how, how can I start to think about what's going on in this physical sense so I can improve my decision making? Mm-hmm. So the Zoological Lighting Institute, it, it actually, it, there was a thing called Zoological Lighting Services before that. You know, I was, oh, okay. uh, I, I worked in zoos, aquariums, you know, like, like trying to, as a light designer in, in yes, the way that yes. thought would work. And, um, but it, it wasn't enough because there was always that answering to industry and always that answering to clients and not really getting into saying, well, what's really going on mm-hmm. and how do I improve the, the basis for making decisions other than the authority of the contract, you know, so that's how ZLI really so got that started. Led we looked to, at nonprofit. Yeah. yeah, so you could have more impact. Yeah. James, just going yeah. back to that time and space where you worked as an architect in lighting for mm. um, zoos, I'd really love to know some of your insights from that time around the particular animals and the lighting for those mm. animals. Can you share that with us? Um, I, I I can I can I think with lighting, you know, on on that side of things, and it's very very different from sort of like the, the charitable overview. Although like yes. we we integrated it in um, with lighting in that context, um, lighting can serve a lot of different purposes. Uh, some of it's theatrical, mm. you know. There's almost like a stage set. You know, an animal will be on stage, and it's what you want to show it. Mm-hmm. So it'll have bright lights put onto it, right? In other instances, you'll have the lighting itself mm-hmm. serve as almost like an icon. Mm-hmm. So if you think like holiday lighting at zoos, mm-hmm. right? It's the lighting that's important. Yes. Nothing else about the zoo, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing else but the animals. It's the lighting that's yes. important. That in my mind is a mistake. But but that being said, it's a valuable mistake in that people enjoy it. And, and so they come and, you know, so it helps drive revenue. Mm. Um, on the health side, yes, with the metrics that are being used by lighting 
companies, and I know I'm always cautious about this, yes. they tend to be inappropriate um, in that you'll have metrics like color temperature, you'll have metrics like lux and lumen, mm. you'll have some information about frequency, you know, what frequencies are being provided, some mm -hmm. lighting that even pr will pretend to be daylight, you know, yeah. and it can't be. You know, if you think about what daylight is in a natural environment outside, mm -hmm. any artificial replication of that it's is going to be static. Mm -hmm. It's not it. It's going mm -hmm. to have a, uh, a fall off pattern, you know, with high intensity near the lamp and falling and off low. to the square yes. of the distance. Yes. Right. Yeah. And and that produces a gradient that you would never see in, in, in nature, you know. Um, and so there are all, all, all sorts of ways. It's different. Anyway, but. But that being said, lighting in zoos and aquariums and the pet trade, you know, it's it's all with good intent, yeah. you know, to, to remediate something that's wrong, right? You know, the animal's not in its natural habitat. Something has to be done. Yes, yes. Um, and, and you'll even see that in the wild too, you know, where you'll have things like sea turtle lighting, like sea turtle friendly lighting, right? Yeah. Which, you know, best thing is just take it, take it out, you know, and, and, and use something else. You know, there, there are, uh, by using something else, I mean, well, can you do this with reflectors because cars have lights or, you know, yes. can you do it with, uh, you know, uh, contrast, visual contrast elements so that the way, the ambient light is picked up by materials provides all of the things the artificial lighting would do and, and allow so for are you talking for like uh, you know Sorry, like white paint right into it. yeah no it's good um yeah. so you're talking about things like uh, a white painted wall for instance would give some light versus the gradient light of mm. that you talked about where the light intensity is uh, strongest closest to the light source and goes out whereas uh, a flat white wall is a flat white wall and the light from that is is static. well it's a it's a it's a backdrop no well yes that, one way to approach that idea of lighting in the mm -hmm. environment if you think that our eyes adjust right mm -hmm. people's eyes adjust all the time right you know, if, if they're allowed to yeah. and it's a big if but if eyes are allowed, allowed to adjust, um, we can still see. Do, do you know? So what that would mean uh, in yeah. terms of, say, a landscape. If, yeah. Uh, I'm going to take you an actual, uh, an actual example. The, in the Everglades in the U.S., in Florida, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's impossible to run electrical wires through a lot of the swampland. Right? Definitely. So on, uh, and because of, I'm assuming because of budgetary concerns, you don't have like solar lights and things like that, and I'm praying they don't go in <laughs> yeah. uh, for, for many reasons. But what you do have along the roads are reflectors, right? Yes, And do. those reflectors, if there's a car, you know, that's driving through. It lights them up. The lights off that. It, it's lit and it's perfectly safe and it works. In fact, it works much better. Uh, because you don't produce dark spots with the electric mm. lighting, you you just allow the, um, you know, the reflectors to handle that. Mm -hmm. But so what I would say, you know, in terms of alternatives to artificial lighting, mm -hmm. that there are many. It depends what the artificial lighting is used for. Yes. But the alternatives would be looking at the visual contrast of materials, looking at the vision, 
in fact, even like as our, in architectural lighting programs, I remember this very clearly from the 90s and in the early 2000s, and you always have lighting designers complaining about uh, uh, illuminance metrics being inadequate. You, mm. you know, so if I, if, if I go by code that says, mm. you know, okay, this room is lit to so many foot candles. So they use these metrics, which actually, yes. again, they don't make physical sense. And they, they, foot candles. But they, who uses right. foot candles anymore? <laughs> right, right. But and they don't yes. actually. Oh, I know. You should see that's that's a very American thing, right? But you could say lux or lumen, right? Yeah. Uh, or, or or lux. You know, there are these levels that are specified in code, mm. but the problem is they don't really relate to how human vision works either, right? Um, in that you can create. If I were to shine, if you think of again, we'll stick with the car example. Yeah. If I have a. Um, a moon, moonless night. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, I might be walking down a road, something like that. And a car comes with its headlights. I'm blinded. Right. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even Definitely. see it in the daytime. In the daytime, mm -hmm. I wouldn't even see it. Yeah. But at night, I'm blinded. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the problem with the illuminance uh, metric uh -huh. in that it doesn't account for that blinding capacity of the, the, the lighting. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I was in London last week. And I yes. was walking down in the Covent Garden area mm -hmm. and they have these uh, acorn fixtures where the filaments are exposed. Uh, and, you know, it, which means that you're staring into the light, which yeah. means that you can't see yeah. uh, any, anything else. You, you're blinded by that light. In fact, it's, it's an old, um, I mean, in terms of historical anecdotes, you know, carrying lighting uh, in, I, I want to say, 17th century, maybe 18th mm -hmm. century in, in, in England, mm -hmm. you know, the, those, the regulations was, was to carry lighting by the poor so you could see where they were. People had to have lighting so you could see who was there, uh -huh. not so that someone could see uh, their way around um, because it's actually very blinding to have that. Yeah. Uh, so and, anyway, uh, lots, lots in terms of like, you know, historical, you know, yes. use of lighting codes and things. But the point of all of this is in, in the, in the nineties, one of the common complaints was that by lighting designers was that these metrics don't really help you see. Mm. So the better designers, mm. you know, they wouldn't do that. They would, they would really want to do experimental things and mm. see what luminance might be these relationships between surfaces. And, mm. um, and, you know, a funny thing with, artificial lighting uh, or with the the bouncing of light around in space right you know typically we'll talk about materials as uh, reflecting light or yeah. um, you know transmitting light like glass right yes. but really what's happening physically is that those surfaces are absorbing that radiation um, and then when you know everything settles down it happens like you know, faster much faster than the blink of an eye mm. but you'll have a re-emission uh, of of radiation that we pick up as light, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's it's not the same light. So you can see here my uh, my, my little figurines and yeah. there's reflections here. Mm -hmm. The the so there, the that light is reflecting that's onto new. the glass. Yes, but it's actually being re-emitted by the glass. See, ah. it's not the same light. It's not as if you know from my light bulb above. You know that light is hitting Mikasa here as an Attack on Titan figurine. Mm, yeah. it's, it's hitting hitting the figurine. The figurine is absorbing that radiation, mm. right? Um, it emits new radiation, 
that's bouncing against the glass. Uh, I'm sorry, that's being absorbed by the glass. Yeah, 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 yeah. Casualness with the phrase. That's being absorbed by the glass of the table. Yeah. And then that's being re-emitted and it strikes my eye. And then with the receptors in the eye and the the wiring behind all of that, um, it's being recomposed into an image in my head. But it's not as if the same radiation from there is illuminating me in that way. Mm. So, but, but that's the kind of casual way to talk about it. You know, the, the figurine is lit by the glass and then I see it because I perceive that light that's coming there. Physically, it's, it's much different from that. It's not even more complicated. It's just different. Mm. Um, which means though, what all of that means is that as an architect, mm. if I'm thinking about how light is uh, manifest in space, mm. right? Every single material is a lighting fixture, Mm -hmm. right? And what that means in terms of um, uh, design is that I can take into account the idea that my eye ocular system and, and, you know, my, I I can adjust Mm -hmm. to different intensity levels. Yes. So I can still see um, if I, if, you know, some of these lights were off, I I can still create images out of this room. Mm. Uh, and, but I can do it at a level that's much more amenable biologically than if I keep pumping out radiation. Mm. So if one of the, the analogies, I think that ZLF, we first started making when we formed, uh, 12 years ago was that, you know, to think about light, it's probably better to think about it almost like temperature, you know, where you think that there are ranges of intensity rather than absolute values, mm. right? So I know you can get to absolute zero, but if if I think of, you know, zero Celsius, right? If I think of what that is as an environment, mm. as opposed to 30 Celsius, mm. it, that, that's a much better way to think about it because you have these ranges of occupiable conditions mm. that um, aren't really accountable by sort of like balls in a cup. And if there's one challenge with the lighting industry, it's a balls in a cup mentality, you know, that if I have more light better, right. You know, it's kind of this uh, uptick um, without thinking that the, you know, the ranges are really what matter, you know, and there's also other analogies, you know, points in the analogy that makes sense, like directionality, you know, so if I have like a window and it's cool on one side or, you know, I'm basking in the sun, there's a directionality to it. There's a directionality to light fields as well. Um, I mean, you know, the analogy will break down at some point, but that that's um, in terms of uh, a doxology, right? You know, just having something to think about normally, right? Mm. It's better from an environmental and a biological sense to think about those intensity ranges um, when you think about how an organism like a human or an animal or a plant I was just gonna relates. ask this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we don't make distinctions. And uh, yes. we, we, we do in terms of uh, our decision-making later. Uh, and I think we're very different as an animal welfare charity because of that. We, do, we don't, we, 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 we do prioritize human concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh for, for for many reasons mainly because we we, we speak i think but um uh, but that being said yeah. we look at things like consciousness as a physical phenomena uh strictly speaking physical phenomena because we're in the public realm 
Mm. Uh, and and we want to be able to accommodate many, many, many different perspectives. And the way to do that is always to come back to that physical basis mm. uh, of, of of life, um, you know, in the here and now, you know, and, yes. and, and how that how that evolves over time. So, James, this is a quite um, uh, I'm hesitant to say niche um, area. Um, <laughs> because it's so incredibly important and somehow niche minimizes the importance of the work that you do. Um, but I really want to know how people um, can help um, and and what's involved with working with the Zoological Institute. So can you tell us about the numbers of ways and the different ways that people can work with you and, and continue this valuable work that you do uh, absolutely uh because we, we certainly need help um you know, yeah. niche niche doesn't even it, you know, begin... it's not the right word I, but I'm no no it is it, no 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 it, it is i i i you know it's it's one of these things it's it's niche but it's a niche that's everywhere yeah um, that, that's, I, I think that's what i was trying of, to like it, yeah. yes it's niche but it, it it's, it's everywhere across that. the globe yeah it's more than that it, it's mm. uh the subject of light and life, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like in that mission, sciences of light and life, right? It 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 touches on every SDG that the UN has, mm. you know, and and it reorganizes SDGs all of the, it. Sorry, James. Sustainable S- design goals. For sure, Thank go ahead. You. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> going to clarify that. Um, I know what you no, mean. No, no, it's, it's good for the audience. Yeah, no, no, it's related good. to the so, UN's. Right, right. But basically, how light affects our lives. Mm. You know how 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 design, how interacting with each other. So everything from poverty to, uh, you know, race baiting to, you know, definitely um, to reproductive health, all of that, you know, it all fits in with this. When you were talking about the, the way that uh, in England, the light was to shine and find where Mm. the poor, poor um, people were, Mm. that's almost uh, an early form of, racial profiling using light to deter like do you know what i mean i no i, I and do i never thought I, I of do. it like exactly. that before it's you know we, we uh, for zli to make our you know our mission isn't always that clear for folks when they first come into it yes so we we put together those campaigns that we have mm. zli campaigns yes you know there's beach there's baranoia yes. you know there's insect apocalypse healthy glow or the yes. time save a billion birds right there's a lot of them right amazing names but, for for campaigns by the way i i, I wish i had gone into advertising like that. <laughs> I, I wish i had done that because i would have so much fun you know uh, yeah. um but <laughs> but with, with with the campaigns though each one of them features some animal, you know, so like mm. insect apocalypse. I'll, I'll take yes. that one for a minute. Yes. Um, we were actually featured by the UN, actually, a paper that we did mm. um, with uh, insect apocalypse. Mm. It's insects, right? Mm. Now, um, people may or may not be aware of the, the horrific decline of insect numbers around the globe, mm. right? It's upwards of 75% yeah. in, some, in some areas, um, generally about 60, in some areas, 75 the problem that's with that terrible, is that's terrible james it's it's it is terrifying because, yes that you lose insects you lose everything absolutely yep. they are the building blocks of life yep. and you know so it, it's it's a huge challenge that isn't getting it 
amazingly, it's not getting enough play uh, <sighs> because there's no point. This is a hard thing for me to say, and sometimes it can be misunderstood, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah. There's no point in climate change mitigation if you lose insects. Absolutely. Because all of a sudden, absolutely, there's, there's no food. You know, there's no Correct. agriculture. There's no yeah. environment. And if there's none of that, there's no sustainable nope. like community. It's all nope. gone, right? Yeah. So as, as important as climate change mitigation is, it's important because you need to sus- sustain life, right? Mm-hmm. And if you lose the life for whatever yeah. reason, yeah, there's no point to it. So, and, and I think that uh, with insect apocalypse, right, with that campaign, yeah, the the paper uh, that um, we uh, uh, instigated, I would say, mm-hmm. you know, we're not responsible for it, but we instigated it. Um, Avalon Owens uh, gathered up the material, Brett Seymour, you know, two of our board members, uh, their mm-hmm. colleagues too, and mm-hmm. it's on our site, maybe people can find it. But what they, there were, there were two papers mm-hmm. that uh, raised the red flag that insects mm-hmm. were disappearing, Yeah. but neither one of them identified light pollution as an issue. And by light pollution, I mean any artificial light in the environment. I don't simply mean it as excess. It's everything, right? Mm. The, the world doesn't, the physical world doesn't care if you need it or not, right? Mm. Um, but so what we did with Avalon and, and Brett, you know, in this paper, uh, they actually gathered up the indicators that pointed to artificial light as a major factor, not just a factor. And there were over 200 papers that they gathered uh, and, and summarized in, 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 in this reissue, uh, you know, in, in this issue that they put out. Um, and there are many reasons why artificial lighting is a problem for insects. Uh, but if you think of any street light attracting, oh, yeah. you know, uh, moths to a flame, right? You yes. know, the, if you yes. think of that, you, you get a, a, an indication of why this is an issue, right? Mm. Um, uh, uh, so, so anyway, with insect apocalypse, the idea is to was just that it was to say, look, if you lose insects due to artificial lighting, mm-hmm. right, um, you lose food production and food security. Yeah, you lose pollination. Yeah. You lose, you know, but it's a food related issue that's comprehensible, really e- in an easy way. Yeah. Each of the campaigns focuses on something like that. So, yes. for example, uh, the Healthy Glow campaign. Actually, yeah. I, I, I like this one quite a lot. It, uh, it, of all things, it has like sharks as its feature animal. <laughs> yes. um, but because they're very sens- sensitive in their development to light conditions. Sharks um, are? Sharks are, yep. Uh-huh. Uh, every animal is. Uh, I'll say yeah, this. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have... Um, but you don't think of sharks having a sensitivity to, it, to light? No. It, no. It, it's, you know, where they lay is at a certain optical uh, depth. Mm-hmm. Where they breed, certain optical depth. Yes. How they spend their time in in being... In, in, in being sharks. And growing. Being mm-hmm. sharks, growing. Mm-hmm all of these have very specific optical depths and you know even though like you know our, our goal is to fund research it's not to make claims of things no no um but but that being said we took that sensitivity of sharks and in fact mm. there was a uh if i remember correctly when we formed that campaign a few years ago it was when bioluminescent sharks yeah. were uh talked about quite a bit mm. but anyway with the healthy glow campaign we look at health and yes. light so yes. and looking at health as an ability to work in love right mm. you know we just take that health that old freudian definition mm. 
And we take that very specifically because um, when we think of developmental biology, uh, light plays an enormous role in, you know, in, in development uh, mm -hmm. and, and how, you know, cells turn into organisms, you know, yes. turn into yes. uh, ecosystem elements. Yes. Um, and, or if we think of reproduction too, if you think of uh, even like the powers of images mm. uh, in, in um, you know, establishing social structure, mm. right? Or, you know, you can look at uh, imprinting, you know, and, and, and how that affects behaviors. But anyway, mm. but within the, the Healthy Glow campaign, the idea was really to focus on the endocrine, the hormone aspects of light. Uh, and because when you introduce artificial lighting into a scenario, Mm. you restrict hormone cycling you restrict that flow and when mm. you do that you have a negative impact on health and reproductive outcomes you know, product, uh, developmental yeah. and reproductive mm -hmm. outcomes mm -hmm. so like within our um it I, 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 I think this is pretty straightforward yeah you know w within any vertebrate uh uh animal Right. Yes. If we look at a human eye, I'll, I'll start with the human eye and we can yes. go to other yes. examples. In, in a human eye, you know, um, the receptors at the back of the eye, right? You know, the back of the yes. uh, of the retina. Yes. You know, we have cones, we have rods. And, rods. Mm -hmm. and then we have hypersensitive ganglion cells, yes. right? Light-sensitive ganglion cell. cells. Right. And, you know, those connect right into the pineal gland. Uh, and in the brain, uh, hypothalamus in the pineal mm. gland, and they and they govern the cycling of hormones. Mm -hmm. and, and there there are several different channels, but effectively, it what that does is establish cycles, mm. of hormone cycling in the body. Mm. It's very important to the functioning, mm. right? Um, when artificial light is on, this the, the, there's a signal essentially. Mm. Um, that uh, suppresses that full mm. production. So, yeah. you know, if we talk about melatonin and those kind of things, um, what we're talking about is that absence of light allows for that little bit of production mm. that allows for the ebb and flow in the body, mm. right? And th that establishes homeostasis in the body, a dynamic homeostasis in the body. Mm. With the artificial light restricting that, those functions don't proceed uh, mm. as in as vibrant as a they way. Should. So you end up with a greater onset of diabetes. Let's say some of the Harvard medical studies, right? Incredible. Um, you, you, have, you have higher rates of diabetes. You have anxiety. Oh. Uh, you have slower wound repair, uh, you know, mm. blood disorders. Mm. There are all sorts of physiological changes mm. simply because of that relationship. Mm. You know, not, not even thinking about like the... the what's seen and, you know, how hormones play a role mm. in, you know, mm. conscious functioning, you know, yeah. which, uh, uh, you know, which they do. Um, but uh, not even looking at, at the rods and cones for a second, just looking uh -huh. at those homeostatic potential. So anyway, short of all of that is yes. within the Healthy Glow campaign, the idea is to say, look, you know, reproductive outcomes mm. uh, depend on natural light cycles. Mm. Mm. Uh, developmental, you know, growth patterns, yeah. wound repair, all of that uh, disease onset, mm. you know, depends on these natural light cycles. Uh -huh. uh, and so 
uh, you know, at the end of the day, the campaign is to make that easy. Now, we had sharks because of that sensitivity, but also because of the role of shark fin soup mm, in yes. uh, reproductive ceremonies, you know, yes. uh, wedding ceremonies, yes. things like that. Yeah. Um, and as a way to open up this conversation into alternative forms of medicine mm. and, and, and how that, you know, sits in an international context, yeah. thinking about, well, you know, I have to deal with the lighting problem. Yeah. as well yes. in addition to looking at all of the traditional pharmaceuticals that are typically dismissed yes you know as being you know somehow barbaric uh which which you know you, you hear that all the time whereas what we're trying to say well look yeah but we have another issue here that's much bigger right now yeah. it's all big it's yes. all big like we, we you know we, yes. we we want to see an end to shark finning right yeah but that being said we want to be able to come to the table and say look we have there there are many issues around this um, you know, the, there's a problem with wild populations and artificial lighting that's not, mm. it hasn't even begun to be broached. Yes. Um, and it, and it's huge. Yes. It, it seems like a nothing, but it's not. Mm. We talked about insects, but we could talk about any species, birds, we could mm. talk about fisheries. Yeah. We could talk about, um, uh, you know, mammals, of course, you know, we, yes. we can go up and down the line mm. as to the impact of artificial, artificial lighting. Light. Whether it's in the cities or in urban or suburban mm. situations, it doesn't mm. matter mm. Um, because uh, animals migrate. Yeah. It, you know, if, if um, I, I'm in New York, right? Yes. And if I kill, I mean, it's just it's very direct things here. If I have my glass window right, mm. and it kills a migrating Brazil bird that spends part of its year in Brazil, I yes. killed a Brazilian bird. Yes. Right. It just happens to be here at the yes. moment. Yes. Right. And so my not screening that window. Right. I'm culpable for that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So uh, I kind of skipped over that question of what can people do? Because we, you know, we kind of let the conversation go. <laughs> Some very simple things, um, you know, use less artificial light. If there's something that can be done in place of the artificial light and achieved by oh, you it, don't need like the company light. level. If you right, if there's a way to achieve your goal without, without emitting light. radiation into the yeah. environment, right? Yeah. Do that, or with something like a glass window. If there's another treatment that can be done, like screens, you know, yeah. it, it doesn't have to be one of my uh, pet peeves. Mm -hmm. And and again, with uh, uh, sort of like window manufacturers, mm -hmm. I'll say mm -hmm. there are some very good intentions. I think. Mm -hmm. to produce bird-friendly glass, what they call, right? Yes. It might, now over a billion, just to put this in context, we have a Save a Billion Birds campaign, right? Mm, yes, I um, don't. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, right. But we, um, over, a, a, the, the name of that campaign came from the billion or so estimated birds killed in the U.S. by glass every year, right? So Save a That's... Billion Birds annually, right? Uh, it, annually, right? And, but the thing is with the bird-friendly glazing, it, it, it's not an absolute solution. Sure. You know, it, it maybe cuts the numbers down by 30%. So it's only part of the solution. It's, there are other things that need to happen to well, protect it, those not, birds. There are better ways to do it. Ah. You know, a better way to do it would be simply screening it. See, there, there's a big rush to keep the glass, right, mm -hmm. uh, exposed. Yes. Um, and, you know, and, and, and just say, well, that's the best we can do. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas there are already solutions that are cheap, 
you know, and, and easy to accomplish by like screening. Yeah. You can put advertising film on a window, you know, all yes. sorts of, as long as it's on the exterior surface, yeah. you can do all sorts of things, mm-hmm. but, um, but there's a clinging to that established practice, you know, yes. that I need this. Yes. See, as an architect, I, I think maybe, maybe I, that I was, I was going to try and circle. School. I was going to circle back and say, so right. from an architect's perspective, what would you do for windows? I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use them. I mean, I, I would use so like, you wouldn't... screens. I, I would use screens. I would use layers. I would use alternative materials. Ah, I would use top lighting. So you would just um, use a anything... screen with the glass behind the screen. You could do that layered facades. Morphosis mm. is this great Los Angeles firm that built a whole career. Not, they didn't do it for the birds. I don't think. Um, no, I, I but, but, but the, but they had these you know, composite facades or you look at things like Bill Bow, you know, Frank mm-hmm. Gehry, people like, you know, famous architects, you know, there's so many different ways to look at the dividing line between inside and outside. Right. Yeah. And so many ways to accomplish it. Yes. That, that knee jerk reaction of installing a window, right. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's wrong. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how else I can say it. No, no. It's I, it wrong just, because, because it and kills birds. I was yeah. just going to say, so. and it actually having this conversation causes causes me to think in a different way. I'm just one mm. person. If we could get um, mm. hundreds of thousands of people to think about windows, for instance, that's one thing. Yeah. Um, we start to it's, make it's an huge. impact. And that actually that leads into that whole climate change uh, mm. scenario as well. So effectively right. having a conversation about light is in a roundabout way the same conversation mm. as climate change in terms of you could, if you think about what you do in terms of windows, materials, mm. um, the production of the glass, and if you think about it in terms of climate change, if you think about it in terms of light, if you think about it in terms of our our animals, et cetera, it, it brings a whole new awareness and thinking about that window in that new house, mm. doesn't it? I, I absolutely. I, and I think you know, I mean our architects, um, if they get they have great fa- solutions. Fantasy, they they can. Yeah. If they're for if if they're encouraged Asked, to encouraged um, to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, because there, there is an expectation among a lot of architects mm. of what the client will accept, mm. right? So it, it really does have to come from clients. You know, as mm. much as I would love to say, like, People you know, I, mean, I was a council member from, you know, the Royal of British Architects for all these years and whatnot. But that being said, leadership has to come uh, you know, from that development side mm. where uh, we have no. We have one of our segments, right? We have the ZLI endowments, so we fund scholarships, right? Yes. We, we need people to fund those, right? So yes. if any businesses want so to have a name scholarship that encourage that, right. people to study these areas, uh, th- that's these, right. Yeah. Right. There, there's the endowments, yes. the, the Zala, these animal welfare stations. You know, we monitor it, and that's a way to for risk management. Mm. And then before, I'm not going to talk about the films today because, like, that, that's <laughs> no, another. Talk that's, about- <laughs> That's I'm going to launch off into that if I do. But we have this awash, the awash design. It's animal welfare architectural studio hosting, mm-hmm. but it's an animal welfare approach to sustainable design. Yes. That's that's the point I want to make sure we get across. Yes. The idea is to look at, if, if I go backwards from climate change, you look backwards from 
sustainability. Mm. And you say, well, wait, what are we sustaining? Well, we're sustaining life, right? It's, so it's ecosystems and biodiversity. Mm. So uh, uh, Ken Yang, uh, one of our board members, I, I just saw him last week uh, yes. in, in, in Cambridge. Now, uh, Ken is really the leading figure in biotic sustainability. Yeah. How do you preserve living systems, right, yes. in architecture? Yeah. That, that, that really qualifies sustainability. Mm. We would go one step further with CLI. Mm. And say if we want to if we want to address biotic sustainability, mm. we want to do it one by one. Yeah, right. It's the same way you solve poverty, yeah. right? You know, if somebody says, "How do you fix poverty?" Well, you one by one. You know, you yes. take care of one yes. by one people, one right? Because mm -hmm. we're only one one piece yeah. of person each, right? But that being said, the idea of an animal welfare oriented sustainability mm -hmm. it's to think about these decisions whether it's design mm -hmm. or care mm -hmm. um, development fashion product it doesn't matter mm -hmm. you want to think about what that individual animal is on its own terms mm -hmm. right so for example like a a, a firefly mm -hmm. has a very different relationship to its environment yeah. than say a bear does yeah right? They're very different. Yes. And how you make decisions design-wise would change if you were thinking of how do I preserve this firefly habitat mm -hmm. as opposed to how do I preserve this bear habitat or mm -hmm. how do I preserve... The, so the, the decisions that you end up making are different, but they're more effective. Yes. Now, granted, yes. you know, there, has to, there is a level of decision-making where you say, I can't look at everything. No. I have to kind of, right. So yeah. I have to, at some point, I have to come back to that mantra, natural light comes first, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Habit, you mm -hmm. know, that kind of generic habitat comes first. Mm -hmm. But I still want to be able to come through and say, this particular animal has this particular relationship with my work, mm -hmm. right? And so when you think about birds, yeah. right, in particular, and it's, it's actually going to be different for different species of birds too. Yes, yes. And, and different, you know, and, and different social groups of birds and there's all sorts of things that you can narrow that down to mm. but in a very basic level yes i know as an architect see if i was just thinking climate change mitigation right mm -hmm. i could mm -hmm. create a lead as a, a an accreditation private accreditation system here in the u.s yeah. that a lot of people picked up on yeah if if i were to do a lead platinum building i could do it all out of glass yeah right? provided i i hit my boxes and other things um one of my first projects my encounters with lead was actually uh being asked to design as part of a class, being asked to design a lead platinum building next to a wetland, right? Uh, and, I, and I refused. I actually walked out yes, of the class because I said, yes. you know, if you do this, you're going to kill birds. And if you kill birds, there's no point in reducing the cost of energy on this project Absolutely. or even the carbon emissions. So, uh, so thinking about an, an animal welfare and a wash approach mm. to designing a building, yeah. mm -hmm. it's thinking about those relationships. So I, you know, I, you know, uh, I would think, well, how do I bring, how do I do daylighting yeah. without using bird killing glass? Mm, right. Yeah. How yeah. do I do, um, how do I provide nesting? How do I provide, you know, yes, or yes, planting yes. all of that sort of thing too. But, you know, but that first priority would be to get the glass out. And, and to come at it from a different way, right. but it's mm. an animal welfare approach. And yeah. the other benefit, so one of the things we could do with CLI, we, we actually can still do architectural work, uh, yes, you know, and, and, and still serve as a broker. We're, we're a 501c3 in the U S which means that if people donate to us, 
Correct. Right? We're actually able uh, to, they're actually able to get a tax break. Yes. Right. So up yes. to 40% you know, yes. off the work. Yes. Uh, or off the cost. Yes. If they Amazing. engage us to broker the design, the design. So mm. if they hire, if they donate to us and we hire and the hire architect, you. yeah, right. And we hire architects mm-hmm. and we tell the architects, okay, you're going to do this, but you're going to do this is what you have to do because the yeah. client needs their tax break yeah. because we're a charity. That's awesome. So this, we, we move sustainable design into this, into the practical, recognition that yeah. practical, you know, yes. financial, uh, lucrative Incentives. way. Absolutely. Right. So even say like with, you know, I mentioned screens, there, there are lots of different approaches. Actually, I just yeah, use screens because yeah, it's an yeah, easy one. Yeah. But um, with screening windows, say, yeah. one of the things we're able to do, if a client donates to us, and I say client, but like not yes. our client, yes. or they, yes. they become our donor. Yes. If they donate to us, we're actually able to buy that, you know, those screens and install them on a property. Amazing. And as long as we own those, see, mm-hmm. now the charity still owns them. But yeah. they're installed on the property, yeah. and they're there to protect. Yeah, um, they're, they're there to protect people from the loss of birds. Yes, right. Yeah, I'm going to phrase it like that rather than saying protecting birds, because it's really protecting people from the, the loss, loss of those of birds. birds. Mm. You know, yeah. that's how we're justified as a 501c3. We're we're here for animal welfare and wildlife conservation. Absolutely. At the end of the day, we have our photobiological approach. Amazing. Anyway, so that's James- what we can do. I'm conscious of the time and realize that we're uh, almost sure. out yeah, of I'll time. <laughs> and we, <laughs> this is a fabulous conversation, a very engaging and worthwhile one to have. Just quickly, what's the best way to connect with you and mm-hmm. have a conversation, make a donation, become a sponsor, or become involved yeah. in the work that you do? What's the simplest way for people to connect? And we will have all of your contact details attached to this interview wherever you're watching it. But, James, what's the best way? Is it email? How do you like to connect with people? Uh, e- email, email is wonderful. Uh, yes. I'm always available on LinkedIn. Yes. You know, that, that connection is there. Um, I think, you know, how people can get involved, you know, this uh, zoolighting.org site. Yes. Very easy to make donations there. Yes, it is. And we do need donations to fund fund the science. You do. Um, For sponsorships, Mm. that can be done on the site too. But Fantastic. We like to actually talk to people, you know. Yes. So with that, I would say an email is probably the best. Start with an email and introduce yourself to James. You can either to my own or to the general one. Yeah, absolutely. And then have a conversation because we need to be doing these things now, James. We need to be working Mm. actively on all of these things or our grandchildren will not inherit the world in a very good state. Um, Uh, Yeah. But I would say, you know, going through the website and even for the architectural work or the, you know, the, the monitoring stations, which I know we didn't talk too much about that, but with, um, but we'll maybe next, next, next time, I guess, you know, when when we look at that, but, um, but really getting in touch, you know, through the website, but, you know, my own direct email is good. Yeah. Uh, The admin site is good too, because Mm -hmm. we've got a, 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 uh, well, director of the new UK society you know, for us, yes. uh, Jack Merrifield. Yeah. So, you know, he's another good person to get in touch with, um, you know, directly for a quick response. Fantastic. Uh, but, and we're doing an event in San Francisco in the spring, uh, in June. We need sponsors for that. Ah, uh, and, let's and talk about that as well. more. Let's talk about that more sure. next week as well. Ab- Dr. Absolutely. James Fisher. 
thank you so much for your insights, experience and your wonderful words today. I look forward to our next show uh, next week, which will go out live. Uh, Dr. James Fisher, um, thank you so much. And that, thank my friends, is your lot for this week. Please join us next week in an ongoing conversation with Dr. James Fisher around lighting and its impact on the world. Thank you for watching today and bye for now. Back, everyone. I'm Tony Lontis and this is the Everyday Business Show. Is that possible? That was the question for myself. And it is absolutely possible.